The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. You can be seated. I just want to mention that yesterday we had a tremendous time here on our campus, and I want to first say thank you, thank you, thank you for all of those that served in so many various different ways to make yesterday, in my view, a successful day as we attempted to engage with our community, and there were dozens of people here that I, I met and talked to that had, had never been on the grounds, and so we had an opportunity to have that first touch. Can we just thank the Lord for yesterday and pray that there would be effective means of others coming to Christ as a result of it. Uh, I want to remind you, we have a Connect class coming up on October the 30th. That's next Sunday. It will be at 1115, just right down the hallway here, and there'll be signs directing you to that. If you've been considering becoming a part, a member of First Baptist Conyers, we would love to have you to be uh, engaged with us on the mission that he's called us to, to display God's grace to all people. And with the responsibility that we believe that he has given to the church, the body of Christ, that mission that we would win one to Jesus, disciple one in Jesus, and then send them to win another and disciple them in Jesus. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be going through verses 1 to 6 this morning. And uh, I haven't done this in a while, but when I'm in a passage like this, I just like to ask us to stand to our feet just in honor of God and His Word as I read these verses aloud. Follow along with me. Paul writes this. He said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds, God. Father, that you would bear in us by the Holy Spirit what response we need to make today to your Word. God, I heard one say a long time ago that the Word of God should either make us mad, glad, or sad. But God, it necessitates a Word a response because you've spoken to us. Now, Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I began this last week preparing for the message with the idea of preaching on unity in the body of Christ. And this was a passage that I had selected to teach that sermon on. However, the more that I dug into this passage and I, I parsed the words and I looked at it carefully, the structure of it, I realized that what Paul is writing about to this church in Ephesus and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through his word today is not necessarily all about unity. Now, it is about unity. However, there are some precursors that must take place in the body of Christ before we come to that walking in unity together as a body. 
In other words, if we try to just walk in unity and ignore the things that Paul is going to lay out for us that give us the unity in the body of Christ, then we are going to miss it. We're going to fall into the trap of uniformity. We're going to fall into the trap of legalism oftentimes or we come up with a list of do's and don'ts and if somebody doesn't do or somebody don't, then they're out. Because what Paul is speaking to us in this chapter is all that has gone before in chapters 1 to 3, and he starts in chapter 4 through the chapter 6 of the doing of living this out in the Christian life. In chapters 1 and 3 of the book of of Ephesians, there is only one imperative in all of those three chapters, and that imperative or that command is not very forceful, and you might miss it, and it's just simply the word remember that he calls us to remember. That's a command. But all the way through the rest of the book of Ephesians, there are 40 more imperatives that he gives to us, or 40 commands. So in total, in this short book, in six chapters, he gives us 41 imperatives, and you might look at an imperative this way, that an imperative is a command. Now, why did Paul structure it that way? Well, he begins verse 1 of chapter 4 by saying, therefore, and anytime we see the word therefore in Scripture, we always have to ask the question, what is the therefore? Hey, you got it. So Paul is looking all the way back in the rich theological nuggets that he's going to share with you and I as we've trusted Christ, who we are in Christ. And the emphasis in those three chapters is the being that we are to be in Christ. The rest of the chapters convey for us how we're to walk that out or live that out as a result of who we are in Christ. Let me put it this way, that if you merely concentrate on the last three chapters of this letter and your concentration is on the doing before you rest in your being, then you're going to fail miserably in the Christian life. And oftentimes, that's our problem. That's oftentimes the way that the Word of God is taught, that we always go to the doing rather than the being. Because can I propose to you that there is no power for the doing in chapters 4 to 6 without understanding the power and the great work of the Holy Spirit of God in regenerating us and causing us to be born again, to become a new person that's laid out for us in the first three chapters. Let me put it in a JMO Southernism. If you ain't being, then you ain't doing. So Paul takes us all the way back in verse 1 where he says, Therefore, he tells us again that, that we've got to be in Christ in order to do. Now, when he's writing to this church in Ephesus, we have to understand that, that in the early church, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles. And in the city of Ephesus, there were a large population 
a large Jewish population, and also a large Gentile population. And that Gentile population would have had many different ethnicities, ethnos, different people groups in it. And before, there was this dividing wall between Jew and Greek, but now they're coming to Christ. And so Paul finds it necessary to write and lay out this theological foundation with the emphasis of now Christ has broken down this barrier, and this is how you're to live, how you're to walk worthily in the calling that God has called you to, to maintain unity in the body of Christ. We might put it in today's application that in our church body, we have many ethnos, we have many ethnicities represented, but in Christ, we are all one, and we're going to find out why we are all one. Therefore, there should be no division in the body of Christ along those lines. God, by his grace and his spirit, will grow more in that as a local church body. But we find here that he tells us that that we're to live by this being in Christ, not doing. You're familiar with Galatians chapter 5, I believe, when Paul speaks of the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. He tells us that these certain things are works of the flesh, these, these idolatrous things, these sexual immorality, hatred, all of the other. But then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Can I tell you one of the secrets to living the Christian life? You ready for a secret? It's really not a secret. I think it's revealed to us there in Galatians chapter 5. You see, for a long time in my Christian life, I focused on not doing the fleshly things, of not walking in the flesh. And can I tell you, the more that I focused on not walking in the flesh or not, or trying not to do the things that are of the flesh, the more I found myself doing the things of the flesh. And the secret for us is some of you are living your Christian life like that today. You're so focused. Now, it's not that, that we don't want to, that we want to ignore those things that he tells us not to, but the greater priority in our lives as Christ followers, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, residing in us, is that we trust and walk in the Spirit. And as we're walking in the fruit of the Spirit, as we're walking in step with the Spirit, I find those things of the flesh diminish a great deal. Not 100%, but they diminish a great deal. See, the focus in the new life, the exchange life of the believer is to look at what he has done in us, and the result of that, of walking in that, will manifest these things of the Spirit. So let's first look at this this call of our walk, because he tells us in this verse that he, or I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. So we're starting in chapter 4 through the rest of the book. He's going to be speaking of how we walk in this calling that he's called us to. And there's a pattern there. You see, there's an appeal that he makes to us with this. He says in verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling, circle that word in your book, in your Bible, Walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been, what? Called. 
He repeats that phrase later down in the passage, but I think there's some significance to these two words, called and calling. You see, that word called has the idea of an active thing that God has done. Hey, David. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Susan. What did I just do? called. So that is God's act where he calls us. He calls us by name. Some this morning he's working by the Holy Spirit and he's calling you to him. And it's through the word of God and the response of the word of God that we respond to that call But then we have the results of that call, if you will, that is that we walk out, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he's called us to. Now, the question is, what is that call? We use that in a lot of general terms that that God has called us. Well, Paul lays it out pretty clearly for us, this this pattern of this calling in our lives. I want to ask you to to look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 10. He speaks of this calling, this that we've been called by where he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What does it mean to be dead? That's not a trick question. Dead. Is there any breathing when we're dead? Is there any talking when we're dead? Is there any action when we're dead? We're dead. And Paul says to every one of us, when he called you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were spiritually dead and separated from God in relationship. And it was his call to you that quickened your heart so that you might now once walk in a different way. Because he goes on to say, you follow the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those of disobedience among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Notice Paul uses all past tense phraseology here, indicating that when one has been called and one has responded, there should be a change in the way that we now walk. And it's not a change in that we try to clean up our act It's not a change in that we get this sense of living in morality. I've met a lot of very moral people in my life that are lost as a goose and still dead in their sin. Morality will not give us eternal life in Christ. And so he says, you once walked this way, carrying out the desires of your body and the mind That answers the question of the one that sits there and says, well, you know, I never did anything wrong. And you categorize it in those things that culturally we may look at as vile sins. Well, I never did that. No, but it was in your mind. It was in your heart. You see, we have that nature of sin in us. And he says, in that we were all nature, by our nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... 
I love that word, but, in Scripture. But God, say it with me, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not your own works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that, beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is this calling that, that Paul speaks of? The calling is when God called you and he called us, called me, and he called the body of Christ, spoke our names so that we might come to him by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when he speaks of this calling, we have all been called by him and that glorious salvation that he has given to us in Christ. Let me use an illustration from the life of Lazarus. Do you remember recording in the recording in the Gospel of John, chapter eleven? You know Lazarus, who had who had died, and his sisters Mary and Martha, they were weeping, and and he's laying there in the grave, and he had been there for three days, and they said, "No, Jesus, don't don't roll the stone away, because by now his body stinketh." Lazarus was what in that grave, dead. And what do we see Jesus doing there at the entrance of that grave? This is a foreshadowing, if you will, or symbolizing, if you will, of when he called us because we were once dead, and he called our name, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? He was given new life. That's what the Bible means when it says that we must be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Yes, you were born of the water, but now you must be born of what? The Spirit. And so there's nothing that can change or transform your life and in my life except we respond to the call of Jesus when he says, Hey, dead man, you might be walking, but you're dead. Now come out. And he saves us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24 I didn't put these on the screen because I like hearing the pages of the Bible turn. If you're losing your smart, if you're using your smartphone, turn it on so I can hear the pages of your smartphone click. First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty-two to twenty-four. Paul writes this. He says, "For the Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom." But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who were what? Called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so here again, Paul is speaking of this calling in our salvation that he's called us to be saved. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30, probably a very familiar passage to some of you. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30, Paul writes this as he's beginning to wrap up and conclude this chapter, and he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are 
called according to his purpose. You see, an unsaved individual, one who has not trusted Christ for their salvation, doesn't fit into this category. We can't use this verse as a victory verse. But it's only those who love God, and we love him because he first what? Loved us. And he called us, and he saved us. So he says in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among brethren. So I would define calling, if you will, that that we have been called as believers is that God raising spiritually dead people to life and faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of messages that the American church is hearing today from the pulpits across America, and I'm not by any means, it's saying that we're exclusive in this, but more and more and more, you're hearing more garbage from the pulpit that is included in the gospel or added to the gospel, but that is not the gospel message. The message of the gospel is that you and I have been born into sin and we are separated from God because of our sin. There's no hope for in this and the eternal destiny that we have will be separated from God for all of eternity in a place the Bible calls hell where there be weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth. But God in his grace and his mercy sent his son Jesus, fully God, that he might walk and fulfill all the requirements of the law and that he would be turned turned over by his own people to be crucified on a cross, shed his blood for the payments of your sins and my sin, and he rose on the third day being victorious over physical death and spiritual death. And if we had placed our trust in him for what he's done for us, and the Bible says we will be saved. That is the gospel. The intent of the gospel was not to bring about social and economic change. The body of Christ, as they walk out in their new life, should have an effect to make social and economic and political change as we're living that life in Christ. But the purpose of the gospel was not to bring that. The purpose of the gospel was to reconcile lost man to a holy God. And the only way to do that was through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that has to be the message of the church. Amen? So when we speak of this gospel, it is a gospel of salvation to bring us back into relationship with a loving God. Now, the outcome of our calling, as we're going to see, is this hope that we have. Now, he begins to talk about the manner of our walk as we pick up in this chapter. Because he tells us to, to walk in a manner that's worthy of of the calling. The calling or the ability or the substance of the call is so valuable and it is so great. The gospel is so valuable and so great that he says in response to that, As believers, we are to walk in a manner that's worthy of that calling. 
heard a story one time of Napoleon as he was inspecting his soldiers. And he comes up to a young officer, and on his name tag, he saw that his name also was Napoleon. And as he inspects this soldier, he realizes that there were some things that were out of order in his uniform. It wasn't pressed the way that it should have been. The buttons were all askewed. And so he asked the young officer, just for emphasis, young man, what is your name? And the young man said, Napoleon. He said, if your name is Napoleon, either change the way you look or change your name. This idea of walking, Paul uses it eight times in the book of Ephesians. It's just general, as you live your life. Thirty-three times in his letters, he uses this phrase. So when he calls us to walk, now remember, the walking has to be preceded by the being or we'll fail miserably. We can't discount the walking and and what that looks like and, and how God desires for us to live our lives. But if we're trying to live it again out of our own flesh, we'll fell miserably. Now, he begins to list the attributes of this calling, the attributes of this walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling. And he starts with this. He uses the word with. So, so in, in response to your, your manner of walking that's worthy in relation to the fact that you've been called and it was such a precious calling and the price that was paid was so great so that you might be called into relationship with him, he says, with all humility and gentleness. Now, we're going to get to unity in just a minute because, see, what he, what he concludes with in this passage of, of walking in unity, if we try to walk in unity without first looking at this call, the, the, the price that was paid in that, our inability to do anything to save ourselves, then there's not going to be unity in the body of Christ. Now, again, unity is not uniformity. All of you can't look as good as me. Amen? That's a joke. You knew it was a joke. He says that we're to walk with all humility and gentleness. We have to understand what this word humility means. Humility is not what oftentimes we've pictured in our mind that the guy's humble and he he just... But humility says... I recognize that in my status before God apart from Christ, woe is me, for I am a man undone. Humility says, I recognize what God did for me that I could not do for myself. And in light of that, I'm going to walk humbly before him, and I'm going to walk humbly before other men. In other words, we don't have the idea that, that we get too big for our britches spiritually, right? You see, we're often tempted to begin to do this comparative Christianity thing where, where we kind of put a status on our walk or our Christian life based on those that are around us. 
and say, you know, I'm not so bad after all, right? I, I mean, I, I thought I was bad, but you look at old David over here, and I'm not so bad after all. Or the reverse, which is just as damnable, is we hold someone up to some high level of spirituality, and we always think that we're, man, we're just really, because I can't live up to them. Can I tell you this? No one knows, in the words of that famous song, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors or in closed minds. Amen? Billy Graham said it this way, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We're all plagued by this sin nature. We're all plagued with temptation and on occasion falling to sin, or should I say daily in our lives falling to sin. So it says walk in humility. So as it works out in the body of Christ that we walk in humility with one another and we recognize that we are no better than anybody else in the body of Christ because we have been saved by grace all alike. And in that, he says, not only are you to walk in humility, but walk in gentleness. Can I be honest with you? I've experienced a lot of non-gentleness from individuals in the body of Christ. Anybody else out there? Now, I say I've experienced it, but I've also doled it out too, and so have you. Now, let's get real. But he calls us to to walk in humility and in gentleness. And then he says, along with that, with patience or long-suffering, some of your translations, and really in the structure of the language is, is to suffer long with each other. Sandy says, I've been suffering with JMO for almost 40 years. How much longer do I have to suffer with that bozo? with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's been this way since the early church, I think. We see it in Paul's letters even. That oftentimes one of the greatest reasons for divisions in the body of Christ or, or those leaving to try to find another fellowship that, that reaches their, what they want, it's kind of like Burger King, have it your way, is because we fail to lay our sides, ourselves aside, consider ourselves less and others better than us, and we don't have a tendency to walk in this manner of humility and gentleness with one another and bearing with one another in love. And then he says this in verse 3, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, a couple of things I want to point out that we do not initiate this unity in the body of Christ. Notice what he says. Look at your text again. That we need to be eager to do what? Maintain. Meaning that there's someone else that has brought about the unity in the body of Christ. 
He didn't tell us to create unity in the body of Christ. We can't do that. So there's someone else that has created this because he calls us to maintain the unity in the body of Christ. And the one thing that we all have in common, I don't care whether you're from the north side, the south side, well, I question some from the north every now and then, but not all. I don't care if you were born in Georgia or you were born in Uganda. I don't care if you were born in India or you were born in Nova Scotia. I don't care if you were born in Nicaragua or Mexico. If you're a believer and you are the part of the body of Christ, the one thing, the only thing that you have in you that unifies us as the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit of God that resides in us by His initiation. Amen? I get troubled, especially around this time of the year. When we have an election season coming up and we listen to the world or the world's message, and what does it want to do to us? It wants to divide us. And church, we have to repent of allowing it to divide us in the body of Christ because we have the Holy Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is not divided. Amen? He's God, very God, the Holy Spirit. And the only way that we have unity in the body of Christ is by the Holy Spirit of God, as Paul says in chapter 1 of this letter, that he has sealed us in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we're to walk in the Spirit. But we've got to refuse the message of the world. We've got to refuse our own fleshly desires. And we've got to say we are going to maintain this unity because it was such a great price that God paid so that we might be a unified body of Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Now, I said the Word of God is either going to cause you to be mad, sad, or glad. But praise God, it's the Holy Spirit that stirs our heart and changes. So he calls us to unity. Then in verse 4, notice the emphasis on the Word leading to each one of these. He kind of goes off into another thought, it seems as though. To say in verse 4, he says, There is one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One. Paul said to the Corinthians, is Christ divided? And the answer to that is what? No. Now, how do we respond to this? Three things quickly. I want to ask you to do in response. Number one is this. That is, you walk out this coming week, months to come, that you daily reflect, take some time to pause, reflect on the cost of your calling, the gospel. 
Reflect on the cost of your calling. I can't help it that when I reflect on my salvation daily, it brings me to that place that I say, God, it's all you and it's not me. When I reflect on that calling, the cost of that, it causes me to want to sing that old hymn. I love to tell the story. Ronnie, find it real quick. Of Jesus, his love, I love to tell the story, will be my theme and glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Can y'all do it again? I love to tell the story. Mm. You see, we tell it to ourselves, and then we tell it to others. Amen? Number two is this. As a result of focusing, reflecting on that cost, that we always, always, by the Spirit of God's help, walk in humility with the Lord and with others. But can I say this? It starts in the home first. Somebody said the light that shines brightest shines brightest at home. We're not excused from not walking this way with our spouse. Now I'm meddling. We're not excused from walking this way with our children. Starts there.